Good morning. If you've got your Bibles, I trust you do, turn to Romans chapter 8, 8th chapter of Romans. Um, while you're going there, he's right. I was preparing a, a message over the last month and um, thought I would just text Pastor Mike and say, hey, um, I'm available if COVID was to hit you or your home. And uh, we both got the best of both worlds. He didn't get COVID, and he still asked me to preach. So that, was, that worked out well. Um, how many of you have ever had braces, teeth braces, in your life? Raise your hand. You know, I know it's an older congregation. I know we didn't have braces 100 years ago. Um, but that's, how many ever wore a headgear? Well, that's what I feel like right now. When Pastor Mike put this on me, I feel like I've got this headgear on me right now, So, uh, but since many of you didn't have that, uh, we tend not to use headgears much anymore. So uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, let's read from the Word of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we... Here we are, this day, ordained by you, created by you, sustained by you right now in this moment. And Lord, it's a privilege to be in your house. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I trust that folks in this room can really say that and mean it. We've got some beautiful lakes around us, got some beautiful mountains, beautiful beaches, but there's no place like being in the house of the Lord with the people of God that you have redeemed, that you have bought. You've paid the ransom. For that, we give you praise, honor, and glory. Go with us the remainder of this service. Lord, speak to our hearts through your spirit. And Lord, allow Satan not to pluck this word off the path. Don't let him choke it out, but let us come to the fullness of Christ to see him as more glorious and more beautiful and more treasure than all the world offers. That would be my prayer this morning. And so we'll trust you'll do that work in the minutes ahead, and we'll give you praise. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. It is a pleasure to open God's word with you. We're going to be in chapter 8. Um, as we come to this Christmas season, I think one of the greatest dangers during this time of year is that we will begin to think about Christmas the way that the world does. And, and you know what I'm talking about. Hallmark, amen, some of you are amen. Gifts, Fun, Santa, elves, decorating, cookies, plays and dramas, get-togethers, you name it. I'm not anti-Christmas by any means. I'm anti-letting anything steal God's glory. For years now, I've battled in my own mind not to think that way that the world does around Christmas because the temptation is tremendous outside the church. And let's just be honest it has crept inside the church. The world views Christianity, especially at Christmas time, as just something that goes with the holiday. I'm not talking about the battle of do you say Merry Christmas or not. I'm talking about Wall Street and Hollywood and Main Street view Christmas as useful. It has social benefits. What are the social benefits of Christmas? We get together. We hang out. We have fun together. 
It has psychological benefits. Some of you haven't smiled all year, and you're smiling now. We're just happier at Christmas time. It has physical benefits. We get gifts. Somebody's going to get you a gift, whether you celebrate the gift part of it or not. It has financial benefits. Anyone get up at 5 a.m. Friday morning? Why is it called Black Friday? Because they get out of the black and they get in the red. That's why it's called Black Friday. We get, we get to add to our bottom line. Get out of the red and into the black, sorry. In other words, the world doesn't assess Christianity in the categories of true or false. They assess our faith as useful or harmful. The world does not think of this book as divine revelation. They think of it as human opinion. Let's step outside of Christmas time. The world views our ideas of marriage, gender, sexuality. When does life start? The world views that as outdated. The world does not believe that God must reveal our deepest need in here and that Jesus is the only remedy. The world believes that we know our deepest needs and that Christianity might meet some of those needs if they can co-opt it. The danger that Christians start to think this way is huge and deadly. I hope you're with me. We get lost in Christmas. And it strips Christmas, it strips the gospel of all that makes it good. It's good news for a reason, church. A coworker asks you at work, what do you like about Christmas? And without even thinking, you usually say something like, oh, I love the trees. I love the cold weather. I love the wreaths. I love the smell. And if you let the secular world define the starting point of Christmas, then you'll find yourself drifting into that way of thinking. And you'll promote the erroneous notion that the church of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ is not authoritative, is not true, and is not necessary, but instead an activity of man that is useful, especially at Christmas time. I read just this week, or our church participated in uh, Operation Christmas Child. I think we made over a hundred and some boxes. Um, this week, I saw where a local school finally read what Samaritan's Purse actually stands for. And they said, no way. So they were all in on helping children until they found out that Samaritan's Purse is a Bible-believing organization and hold to this as the inspired word of God. So I begin this way to come back in a few minutes. A few minutes might be a lie, but I'm not trying to. Um, I will try to point to some sweet, practical truths from our text, but I want you to know from the outset and, and to feel it that if you start to think like the world about Christmas, I have to fight this. We have Hallmark. I, I deep down probably wish we didn't. Right, Chris? But we have Hallmark. We have trees, lots of trees. Uh, we do gifts, and I love Christmas for all those add-ons, but if you're not careful, you will dumb down the gospel at Christmas time to everything but Jesus. And so the essence of our Christian faith, if you're in here this morning and you're kicking the tires and you're checking out what this whole thing's about, the essence of our Christian faith is that God is a holy, righteous, loving, creator, sustainer, the supreme value in the universe. And we do not honor him as the supreme value. And therefore, you and me and everyone that's ever lived on this planet is guilty of sin and high treason. And we're under his wrath. And he alone can rescue us from our own condemnation. 
our own guilt, our own shame, which he's done through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. For everyone who is in Christ Jesus, there's only one way to reconcile us to a holy God, and that's Christianity. Before any talk about trees or cookies or Hallmark, Christianity is about God's glory, my sin, being reconciled to God through Jesus and by growing in holiness. The world wants nothing to do with that church. Let me say, the world wants nothing. As soon as that school found out about that type of Christianity, they want nothing to do with that. So knowing that, if you promote trees and cookies minus Jesus, We are cruel. We comb a man's hair in the electric chair and hide his freedom in our hands. Now, I know where I'm at in Romans. If you know Romans, it might be the greatest book in the New Testament, and I'm not weighing one over the other, but if you just said this or Jude, well, Jude has one chapter, Romans has 16, and those that have gone before us have stated that this may be the grandest book. And and what they're implying is that every foundational truth that I and you, Bible, really care about the Bible kind of people is in this book. Martin Luther said this, this letter is truly the most important piece in the New Testament. It is the purest gospel. It is well worth the Christian's while not only to memorize it word for word, but also to occupy himself with it daily as though it were the daily bread of the soul. It is impossible to read or to meditate on this letter too much or too well. The more one deals with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. So I understand what I'm dealing with. Christmas season, our minds are everywhere. And for one week, I've dropped us into perhaps the greatest book in the New Testament. Every essential doctrine we hold dear is in Romans. And then I've plopped us down into the middle of Romans. One of the most glorious chapters, chapter 8. I hope you're there. Chapter 8. And so let me just, a 30-second recap of 1 to 7. Chapter 8 starts with the word, there is therefore. And anytime you see therefore, Bible-loving people know that you're to figure out why the therefore is there for a reason. And so Romans 1 through 8, 1 through 7 lays it out like this. A holy God, everyone stands condemned. Sinful man and women a coming wrath, a perfect Savior, Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, were justified by faith, sanctified by faith. And now Paul sums up the message of Christianity, the great conclusion of our faith in Romans 8.1, the essence of the gospel, the essence of what you hold dear if you hold it dear. When you meet this Christmas season with friends, this is what's near and dear to you. And so let's read it in Romans 8, 1. There is therefore, after everything I've said up to now, Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yesterday, me and my son, we were talking about the scriptures and I said, all right, you're going to memorize this verse. And so he tried. And instead of condemnation, this is what he said. And he memorized this. There is therefore no conjugation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That has something to do with language, I think. Um, So therefore, there is now not conjugation, not related to a verb. It's therefore now no condemnation. What's condemnation? You're not guilty. You're innocent. You're set free. There is no sweeter word in the English language if you truly are standing guilty before a holy God for him to pronounce no condemnation, no condemnation. That is the essential, central, foundational message of God to the world. And that is what we announce. That is what we plead. That is what we lay down our lives, what you should lay down your lives to communicate to the nations and to the neighborhoods.
You can be not condemned in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to break this one sentence. Oh, this you're thinking this is going to be short, but we're going to just stay in one sentence. And I want to break this, well, not really stay in one sentence, but we will prove this one sentence by other parts of the scriptures. But I'm going to break this into two parts, especially at Christmas time. First, there's a gift. Everybody loves gifts. It's, it's, we know that. There's a gift. And the second part I'm going to talk about is who gets to enjoy the gift. And so the first gift, the gift, of course there's more than one gift in Christianity. You can name them. Redemption, adoption, sanctification, reconciliation, and just keep going. But there's this gift. Look at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. No condemnation. That's unspeakably good news we must speak about. There's no condemnation. That's the gift. It's arrived after a long wait and arrives before the wait. So I want to show you where the other two times the word condemned is used in this passage. So go to verse 3 with me. I want to show you how Paul talks about there's no condemnation, no guilt over our lives in Christ. Go to verse 3. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he what? Say it louder. He condemned, there's the word, he condemned sin in the flesh. After all these years, the law had commanded me. The law condemned lawbreakers like me. And the law pointed to a righteousness someday that would come. But there's something the law could never do. It could not remove condemnation from sinners. If there was a time to come when, when sinners could experience no condemnation, then God would have to do something besides give the law. And what he did was send his son. I hope you notice there, it says in the likeness of sinful flesh. He never sinned. That's kindergarten, Sunday school. I asked my son that same thing. Son, did Jesus sin? No, no, he had no sin. The world will tell you he's no different than any of us. But he sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. As our representative, our substitute, and there on the cross in the suffering of his son, God condemned sin. In other words, century after century, the law promised life but had become death to us all. We could never keep it. But finally now, listen to what Paul says in Galatians 3.13, finally now, quote, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. In other words, finally, a mediator, a lamb of God, a substitute, a redeemer, the son of God came into the world to bear our sin and become our condemnation, something the law and all of its provisions of sheep and goats and bulls and all the washing could never do. And so finally, now, there's no condemnation. That's what Paul's saying. Now, after all these years, the prophets have longed to figure out when the Messiah would come and what he would do, and he's done it. And God has condemned sin in the flesh. Second kind of now. There's two ways to look at now in the English language. There's kind of the, okay, we're finally after all that. No, 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 watch this second kind of now. Paul's going to look to the future. Turn to verse 33. Same chapter. Turn to verse 33. Paul is looking toward the judgment. In Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed unto man once to die and then after that to face judgment. And so on the way to that judgment, none of us have been judged. None of us, if you're hearing me this morning, you've never stand before a holy God. You will one day. You will stand before a righteous, holy God. And on the way to that judgment... There are many days when our adversary, Satan, the devil, will try to deceive you, blind you, accuse you, swallow you up in guilt fillings. And so Paul writes this in verse 33. 
Who will bring any charge against God's elect? Who will bring any charge against God's saved children? And he answers it with, it is God who justifies. Verse 34, who is to condemn? There's the word. Who's going to condemn me and you on that last day when we stand before God? Folks, this is really good news at Christmas time. Who's going to condemn me and you when we stand before God? Listen to Paul's answer. Who's, who's, who is to condemn? Next sentence. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So it's not just after all these years we've waited and now we don't get condemnation. But it's all already, already now you can face the judgment knowing you're not condemned. You already know what your portion of the inheritance will be and you've not even died yet. That's incredibly good news. Another way to think about this, just so you can see the two differences. I give a gift to one of my kids. It's for their birthday. I give it to them a week early. Give it to them a week early, and every day they come and say, Dad, can I open it? Not now. Dad, can I open it? Not now. Not now. And then finally on the day of the birthday, they wake up and go, Dad, can I open it? And I say, what? Now you can open it. Now. Here's the other way. My dad is dying. He's got a fortune. This isn't a true story. <coughs> On neither points. <clears throat> My dad is dying. He's got a fortune. And he writes me a letter and he says, Son, I know that I'm dying. I'm not dead, but I, I know I'm on my way out. But I know you need some money now. Here's a check for $10,000 now. It's going to be yours one day, but I'm going to go ahead and give it to you now. So one is a waiting and a waiting and a waiting. Paul says, we've waited for years for God to do this, and he's finally done it. And one is a... There's a judgment coming, and now, today, you can, be, you can be under no condemnation, no guilt, no shame. I cringed when I started preparing this message, to be honest, because sometimes in the Christian world, this message has been co-opted by just a Oh, there's no guilt in Jesus. And they kind of play with that phrase, and you can still go do whatever you want to do. Oh, there's no truth to that in Scripture. The reason you walk in step with the Spirit and not the flesh is because why? The glorious truth that I'm not guilty before a holy God. The reason I pursue holiness, the reason I pursue sanctification is why? Because I stand not guilty before a holy God who sent his son. That's why. So we've got this backward looking to remind us that Christ has died. And we've got this forward looking to remind us that even though there's a judgment coming. And yes, you probably at times tremble about that judgment. As you get older, you start thinking about death. And you think, I, am I right? Am I, am I, have I lived it right? Is it going to work out right? Take hope. Read this chapter over and over as Martin Luther said. Who's going to accuse you on that day? No, it's Christ Jesus who died and rose again as interceding for us. One thing I want to point out, I mentioned it earlier, whose sin, verse 3, whose sin got condemned? You can, you can answer back. Whose sin got condemned? Mine. Yours, not his. Whose flesh was it condemned in? His flesh. Your sin in his flesh. He bore the weight of God's wrath. Now that's Christianity at Christmas time. 
All of us were under God's condemnation because of our sin. Each of us by nature are under the condemnation of God. We're not only subject to condemnation, but we're condemned already. Romans 5, 6 says, while we were still helpless at the right time, God, Christ died for the ungodly. What does that mean? He died for the ungodly. Now you see what it means in Romans 8, 3. It means that God poured out on his son the condemnation that who deserved? We deserved. He condemned my sin in his flesh. And so I would ask you this morning, do you believe that? I was there when he died. Wait wait a minute. I I thought this was just a historical thing that happened. It it did. I I thought Jesus died and I just believe. Yes. But it's way more than that. I was there and I died with him on the cross. The verdict of the last judgment for me is not guilty, no condemnation. That's the gift of God at Christmas time. So in AD 33, my judgment fell on me in Jesus. So there's no condemnation. And so that leads me to the second part. Verse 1 again, go there. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The gospel is exclusive and inclusive. First, no one can say, first, not everyone can say there is now no condemnation over my life. Only those who are what? What does it say? In Christ Jesus. Folks, that leads us to the exclusivity of the gospel. There are some that are in and there are some that are out. That's not a Christmas message for the world. It's for the world, but it's not the message the world wants to hear. Paul assumes this everywhere in his writings. There are those that are in Christ and there are those outside of Christ. You want to find a church that says everybody goes to heaven? We got one in town. Paul is not a universalist. If you're you're there in 8, just look to to chapter 9. You don't have to go. But in verse 3, listen what Paul says in verse 3. Just so you believe what he, just so you believe that he believes what he's writing. Verse 3 of chapter 9 talking about his brothers, his Jewish brothers, for I could wish that myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I wish I was outside of Christ so they could be inside of Christ. With grief he says that. So if that verse 1 is true, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, then the opposite is true. There is therefore condemnation for those who are not in Christ Jesus or outside. So folks, there's only two types of people in the world. You thought it was Republicans and Democrats. You thought it was conservatives and liberals. Some of you are so small-minded that you thought it was tigers and gamecocks. You are small-minded and misguided. No, no. um, My brother-in-law was wanting to watch the gamecocks game last night, and we agreed that if they got down by two touchdowns, we we would turn it and... Lo and behold, they got down by two touchdowns and we got to turn it. Um, the second dis- distinction inside of this summer in, summer out, what I want you to see here is that only being in Christ, only by being in Christ does what happened to Christ happen to you. Let me say that again. Only by being in Christ does what happened to Christ happen to you. To you. 
Christ's condemnation becomes your condemnation. If you want to be able to say at the last judgment, there is no condemnation for me because Jesus endured it for me, then you must be in Christ. I've not discovered any weird truth, but some of you are looking at me like, what's he saying? If you're in him, what happened to him happened to you. If you If he died in A.D. 33, that's when you died. You're done. The death has been paid. It's over. You will never die again. But if you're separated from him, you have no grounds for saying that what happened to him happened to you. Stay where you are. I'm going to go back to chapter 6. Listen to this. I'm going to elaborate on this in Christ. Chapter 6, verse 5, for if we have been united with him, if we're in him, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Verse 8, now if we have died With Christ in him, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So what I'm saying this morning is he died in AD 33. Maybe it's 30, but. And you died if you're in him. The best analogy I can think of all week as I've thought through this. You remember when Moses was on the Mount, Mount Sinai, and God was coming to talk to him. And where where did he put Moses? Anybody? Where did he hide Moses? What, What word? In the cleft of a rock. Who's the rock that you built your life on? Jesus. And you're hidden inside of him. The cleft of Jesus, you're hitting in him. You have a life that's in him. And so when the wrath of God is poured out all over Jesus, guess who's in him? Me, you. If you're in him. If you're not in him. If you're not in him, then guess what? The wrath of God is still on you. What an incredible truth. What happened to Jesus happened to me. So where is Jesus now? He's in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Now I don't read in scripture, I'll get to sit at the right hand. But I do read in scripture, I'll get to be where? In heaven. With all the Hallmark and Christmas trees? No. With your dog? No. To my niece? No, you won't worry about a little dog. Guess what? You'll only want who? Jesus. You only care about Jesus. And so if Jesus rose from the dead, guess what I get to do? I get to rise from the dead. If Jesus got to go be with the Father, guess what I get to do? I get to go be with the Father. Didn't he say that? I've gone to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. How do we get there? How do do we get there? He said, I am the way. I'm not one of the ways. I am the way. If you're in me, you'll be there because I'm there. If you're not a Christian this morning, you're not in Christ. You're not a Christian if Christ is not in you. This union that he's talking about here in chapter 6, this union was symbolized in the Old Testament. If you know anything about the tabernacle and the high priest, he would put his robes on, his ephod or ephod, he would put it on, and there were stones that were on his breast. Guess what the stones were? 
one stone for every tribe of Israel. So that when the high priest on that beautiful, glorious day, the day of atonement, would go behind the curtain and offer up blood on the Ark of the Covenant, guess who was with the high priest? All the tribes of the Israelites. And when Jesus went behind the curtain and died for your sin and my sin and hung on that cross and God poured out his wrath on him, guess who was with him? We were, if you're in Christ. Our high priest has died. He's gone behind the curtain and met with God. And we're with him. But friends, what if you don't come? What if you don't believe what if you don't receive this free gift at Christmas time? Jesus tells us, listen in John 3:36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7, the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Who's going to pay the penalty of eternal destruction? Who will realize divine wrath and condemnation? Who, friends? Our friends. Our family. Those who don't obey the gospel. That's why Acts 4.12 says there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. There's no salvation in any other name. John 14 says no one comes to the Father but by me. Christ is the only way. He's the only Savior. If you talk to the average person on the street, this is how they think life works. If I do a few good things then I'll meet God someday. And God will say, let me, let me look at your record. You did pretty well. And then God will have to render a decision that day. The decision regarding your eternal condemnation has already been made. If you believe not on the Son, then you're condemned already. There's no waiting to the judgment to figure it out. I can tell us where every single person stands even before the day of judgment in the sense of I can biblically tell you. Don't come to me and ask me, am I in or am I out? I could ask you some probing questions. I could turn you to the scriptures and say this is how you should be able to answer that. So where are you this morning? Are you in Christ? Are you outside of Christ? Are you free from condemnation? Are you under condemnation? You don't have to stay under condemnation. There's always room for, Christ, for another unrepentant sinner in Christ. And the only reason you're not in Christ is because you didn't come to Christ. You don't just fall into Christ. You don't just wake up one morning and go, my parents were Christians. My parents were Sunday school teachers. My, my parents went to church all the time. Christ's word to every sinner is come. Trust me, enter. I will be your life. I will be your righteousness. I will be your pardon because I've been your condemnation. I think it's clear. I think it should be for those. There are those that are far, far away from Christ. I think you probably got some of those around you. I, I do. They're outside of Christ and there's no questions about it. I mean, like when someone looks at you and says, I'm outside of Christ, then they probably are. What about those that are unsure? How may I know whether I've been set free and there's no guilt, no condemnation over my life? And that's a question that should enter into every heart. 
And the answer is verse 4. Look at it. We're, we're, we're almost done. Verse 4 in chapter 8. The law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh. Do you walk according to the flesh? After which of these are you walking? Are you seeking to please yourself, indulge your own body, to gratify your own lust, to satisfy your own inclinations? If so, on the authority of God's word, you're not in Christ. And you're fleshly and carnal, and you're still under condemnation. But now if you're in Christ, oh man, I've got some sweet, sweet practical news. You say, well, what, what does this mean for me if I'm in Christ? Well, you should leave here with a spring in your step. There's no condemnation if you're in Christ. Let, let me make this very personal. There's two pages left. We're almost done. What Paul is saying is all of God's condemning wrath and all of his opposition to us in our sin has been replaced by all of God's kindness and mercy and love. Let me ask you, does the father love the son? And you say yes, and if we were in a coffee shop, I'd say, well, show me and prove that to me. And, and you would say, well, in John chapter 17, verse 24, it says, because you, he's talking about the father, Jesus is praying, and he says, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So the father loves the son, and we could go to more places. The father loves the son. So then if you're in Christ, in the son, does he love you too? And Jesus says in verse 23, he said to the father, and you love them. You loved them. He was talking directly about his disciples in that very moment. But he said, I'm praying for those that will believe on behalf of you guys. So he said, you loved them even as you loved me. Jesus looked at the Father and said, you loved them even as you loved me. In other words, if you're in Christ Jesus, all of God's action toward you is mercy and love and kindness that he has toward his son. I didn't grow up with this because I I'm a young kid. You, you start digging into these grand, glorious, biblical truths. But I want you to understand, it's not mixed. People in this room, people, listen, it's not a mixed bag. It's not at those some days, if you're in Christ, God's wrath is still on you. And then other days, when you're having a good day, God is smiling on you. That is not biblical way of thinking. That's emphatically not the case, which is why we need God's revelation. So a friend called me this week and said he had been looking at some things he shouldn't be looking at. If you get my drift. I didn't beat him over the head. I asked him, was he in Christ? And I knew the answer before he answered because he hated his sin. He called it sin. He didn't want any part of that sin. That's what it means to be in Christ. Oh, God's mad at me. Are you kidding me? You're in him. Is he mad at his son? No, never. Never has he been mad at his son. Now, I wish I would have said this. Charles Spurgeon said this, Oh, believer, let not thy sins grieve thee, however great or however tremendous they may have been. Oh, you should weep over them. You should cry over them. But once right with God, don't be distressed about them, for they have been condemned in Christ Jesus. They may have been enormous, but if thou art in him, Christ was punished for them, and God's justice asks not for a second punishment for one offense. Christ offered once a complete atonement for every believer, and if I'm a believer in him, there's no possible fear of my ever being condemned. There cannot be. For Christ was condemned for me. My sins were laid upon his head. And in that awful moment when he sustained the stroke of his father's vengeance, those sins ceased to be. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That's what I wish I'd 
said. I meant that. So church, this morning, what God wants you to understand from Romans 8, 1 is when he says through the apostle Paul, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, is that all of God's condemning wrath and all of his whatever you want to call against you in your sin has been entirely replaced by mercy and love and kindness in Jesus if you are in Christ. Give me one more. Look at verse 31 in chapter 8. I think it it wouldn't be fair to Paul to stop here. Verse 31 in chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? all this thing about you not being condemned, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? We've gone through that. Verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? One bad day? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 37, knowing all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, we've already died. We're in Christ, we've already died. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Satan was created. Nothing in creation. And the last sentence, focus in here just a minute. Lean in. Nothing in height nor depth nor anything in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in who? In Christ Jesus. There it is again. If you're in Christ Jesus. So my closing statement this morning would be, are you in or are you out? And if you're in, oh, oh, how sweet it is to be in. Put a smile on your face. You've been redeemed. The ransom's been paid. You will not be condemned. You stand before God in Christ. But if you're out, I would just say don't stay outside. There's room in Christ. There's room. Come to Christ. Come. I plead with you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that your word has power and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, in the quiet of this moment, I have no magical formula. Biblically, I see repent and believe on the Lord Jesus. Father, help us that are inside of Christ to really believe and feel it. Because if we really believed and felt it morning and night, we would wake and sleep better than we do. Our guilt of whether our son or daughter is wandering and is that going to hang over our head at judgment? Not a chance. Our guilt whether our marriage that we blew is going to hang over our head at judgment? Not a chance. If we're in Christ, if we've repented of our sin and found ourselves, he has found us. What glorious truth that Paul was trying to relay. And so, Lord, in the remainder of this moment, I'm sure Pastor Mike would, if anyone in this room or in the hearing of my voice would come and say, I'm out, but I want to be in. There's room. Christ is no small hotel. There's plenty of rooms, plenty. And so I plead with you to come. Come be in him. Come enjoy all that he offers for you. Lord, that's what we would pray this morning. With every head bowed, Lord, I would pray you would speak right now to hearts. 
that there would be one, two, three, whatever it may be, and if there's no one, if everyone in this room can say, I, I'm in, I would say just, just ask yourself, ask your parents, ask your, ask your friends. If you can ask your best friend, go, hey, do, do I treasure Jesus more than everything in the world? Um, hmm, not based on your Instagram or your Facebook or your attitude or your language or your back. No, no then you're not in. It, it's, it's quite simple. So do you treasure Jesus? Would you sell everything to buy that treasure in the field? That's what I would ask you this morning. And if you have or you would, come and dine with Jesus. That would be our prayer. Lord, we love you. Do that work in hearts this morning. That's what we would pray. We believe you draw men to you. Do that this morning. And we'll trust you. We'll trust you to do that. And we pray all this through Jesus Christ who died for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a glorious Sunday. Enjoy your rest of your day. And Pastor Mike's got a few announcements. First of all, thank you very much for sharing, Josh. It is a blessing to be able to be fed uh, as I'm seated there in the pew this morning. I do want to just uh, thank you each for being a part of our service this morning. As a part of this service today, we are kicking off the Advent season, which means for the next four, including today, four weeks, uh, we'll be having someone who'll be reading the Advent uh, reading for us, and uh, just uh, we're going to be pointing to Christ. I want Christmas to be everything for you, but as Josh accurately stated today, if you're doing this without Christ, it's just another season. This is something that is very special, and it should be for each of us. Thank you for sharing that truth with us today. Uh, we did not take up an offering, and that is because we're trying to be socially distant as much as possible. As you leave, there will be individuals who are at the doors, and we invite each one of you to give as you leave this morning. Thank you so much for being a part of our service. Come back next week as well. Go in peace.